Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Ken samples on various religious experiences and how to go about evaluating them. So how would a Christian kind of discern these kinds of things? Well, obviously we would use the biblical revelation. Do these experiences conform with a theistic view of God, a God that is personal, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present? Would this be a monotheistic belief? And and critical, uh, is this Trinitarian? Ken Samples, next. In the Christian context, religious experiences are well documented in Scripture and throughout Christian history. Today, Ken Samples, Senior Scholar of Reasons to Believe, will provide us with many thoughtful insights into religious experiences. For example, what are they and how can we evaluate them? Ken, here at the beginning, my understanding is that the Latin phrase homo religious is important in this discussion. Tell us about that. I think maybe a good place to begin, uh, Bill, is uh, to say that people have had religious experiences you know, time immemorial, um, people often have what they believe to be religious experiences, so much so that this Latin phrase, homo religiosus, uh, refers to the idea that human beings are just inherently religious. And uh, mm. I think you can, you can see that uh, even from a biblical uh, standpoint, and here I like to quote St. Augustine. Augustine said that human beings are, are made to be worshipers. Um, to be made in the image of God means that we're made for God. We're made to, to love him and to worship him. And Augustine says we're lovers and worshipers. However, part of the Christian story, the Christian narrative, is that uh, we then become sinners, and uh, we don't stop worshiping and don't stop loving, but we switch uh, to other things, uh, things that, are, that bring disorder in our life. So uh, as Paul says in Romans 1, we become idolaters. And I think that even, I think that even uh, secular people exhibit religiosity in the sense that People are always looking for an ultimate concern. If they don't worship God or the biblical God, you know, they adopt the environment or they adopt politics. And it seems that at the core, whether we're part of a particular religion or whether we're secular, religious elements are common to human beings. Perhaps it's, it's good at this point to define what exactly is a religious experience, and how difficult is it to define? I kind of like to put it this way. I, I, I think that religious experiences kind of come in two categories. One I'm going to call normative religious experience, and I think that that applies virtually to all Christians. I mean, every Christian I've ever known, and certainly myself, we, we have a sense at times of God's presence in our life. We may feel that he's watching over us in his providential care. Uh, certainly, we can feel the conviction of God's law uh, and a sense of God's forgiveness and peace. I think all of those are normative religious experiences. Uh, you know, we, we 
at times are aware that God has answered our prayer. So I'm going to call those normative religious experiences. And again, I think they're quite common to a Christian. Then I think that there probably are what we might call extraordinary religious experiences. And that would be something that kind of moves beyond uh, that. And here I'm going to uh, appeal to a, a uh, philosopher and theologian, Ed Miller. In his book, God and Reason, he says a religious experience is, quote, an immediate, direct, and personal confrontation with the divine. And I'll, I'll say that again, an immediate, direct, and personal confrontation with the divine. That seems to me to kind of imply something that is a bit more extraordinary. And in fact, William James, uh, who is an American philosopher uh, known for his kind of views on pragmatism, but he had a, a particular book written in the um, early part of the 20th century. It's uh, entitled The Varieties of Religious Experience. And he identified four features of religious experience. So now again, I'm, I'm kind of touching here on the extraordinary idea. He says, one, that they're ineffable, that is, they defy expression and cannot be described adequately in words. He then offers a second, that they're, they're insights into the depths of truth, unplumbed by discursive intellect. So they may be illuminations or revelations, but they're significant. Third, they're transient. These religious experiences cannot be sustained for long, uh, maybe a few minutes, maybe a few seconds. And then fourthly, people have the sense that God has kind of laid hold of them. Uh, they're kind of grasped by a, by a particular power. So those are kind of two types of religious experiences that I like to talk about. And I also like to say, Bill, this, that when I talk about this topic, I'm not speaking just to necessarily a Christian audience. I mean, skeptics are interested in this topic, and people in other religions are interested. So I try to take a very broad viewpoint. Well, my guest today on His People is Mr. Ken Samples, and we're talking about evaluating religious experiences. He is senior scholar with reasons to believe. And Ken, uh, as we talk about this subject, and of course, I'm going to ask a lot of questions specifically related to the Christian believer, but don't the world's religions, whatever that religion might be, recognize different types of of these experiences? They certainly do. Uh, I, I'm going to identify three types of religious experiences that I think come out of the world's religions. And maybe the first type would be what I would call kind of the revelatory religions. And here I'm thinking especially of Judaism, Christianity, and even Islam. So you have God who reveals himself. Uh, it may be in person, but it may then take a, uh, a scriptural type of uh, uh, revelation. So that would be that first type where you have a personal God who reveals himself, and ultimately it becomes a revelation. A more difficult area would be what I would call kind of mystical religious experiences. And this kind of comes out of Hinduism and various Eastern religions. And so the idea is that human beings become one with God, kind of in terms of his being. And, and here I'm thinking of pantheistic monism. Uh, Hinduism is really a collection of religions. Uh, you have a lot of different uh, types. You have 
polytheism, you have pantheism, you even have uh, something like monotheism. But, but here it's more that mystical type of experience where you become one with God. Maybe the analogy could be a drop of water when it hits the ocean. It's kind of absorbed, if mm. you will. Then a third type of experience, uh, and here I'm going to speak more generally. John Calvin, the, the great uh, Protestant reformer, when he read Romans 1, he talked about the sensus divinitatis, that that is the idea that all people have kind of an awareness, a sense of God. And of course, in a, in a sinful context, in a Christian perspective, people then suppress that truth. They kind of push away from it. But I would, I would give those different types. And of course, what comes out of this is that the Bible also talks about uh, there is concern about religious experiences. I mean, uh, the Apostle Paul says that uh, Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. And uh, even Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Um, and John says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. So from a biblical point of view, I think we can expect that people will have an awareness of God, but there is also a uh, diabolical element behind. So, so religious experiences can be illuminating, they can be good, they can also be counterfeit. And I want to ask in just a moment how to test those, but just before I do, I'm wondering when are, are there times that religious experiences are most likely to occur? In other words, certain things come to mind like prayer, dreams, uh, church, worship, nature, illness, and yeah. so on. No, I, I think you've I think you've put your finger on many of them. Um, people sometimes have religious experiences when they're going through maybe an extraordinary experience of suffering. Um, and certainly people uh, within the context of, of worship in the church, um, you, you would undoubtedly have that. Sometimes people have experiences um, when they're alone. Uh, maybe out in the desert, they have this this sense of awareness. And and obviously, from a Christian point of view, uh, reading the scriptures, praying, being part of a community, um, those are going to be critically important. So much so that I kind of quote C.S. Lewis. Lewis in Mere Christianity says that when people fall away from the faith, they drift away. Rather than somebody coming along and giving them a proof Jesus didn't rise from the dead, no, they drift away. They, they stop attending church. They stop praying. They stop reading scripture. C.S. Lewis says, you've got to feed your faith. So these are, these are very important components in that. Well, regardless of what the religious experience is, and can, of course, I'm talking in the Christian context, but how can, and the scripture does say, to test the spirits, to test all things, hold fast that which is good. How, how can a religious experience be tested? Yeah, this, this is a, a, a really critical point. I mean, think about the world's religions. I'll, I talk about 11 major non-Christian religions, Baha'i, Buddhism, Confucianism, Hinduism, Islam, Jainism, Judaism, Shintoism, Sikhism, Taoism, and Zoroastrianism. I mean, that's a lot of isms from B to Z, if you will. Mm -hmm. 
Scripture certainly talks about the importance of testing them, as we mentioned by what John said. I, I think of what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold on to the good. And the context there was prophecy, for example. So how would a Christian kind of discern these kinds of things? Well, obviously we would use the biblical revelation. Do these experiences conform with a theistic view of God, a God that is personal, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present? Would this be a monotheistic belief? And, and critical, uh, is this Trinitarian? Do we, do we believe uh, most cults or new religious movements categorically deny the Trinity, that God is one in essence, but three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And then obviously the question of grace, um, you know, is this message that Christ alone is our Savior and Lord, and we can we can receive that forgiveness by grace through faith? These are critical questions to be asked. Again, obviously discernment is is called for here. Um, is this genuine, or is it just our imagination, or, or is it the demonic? As you said, the Scripture makes it clear too that uh, Satan can um, disguise himself as an angel of light. Um, if, if we have a religious experience, I, I, it sounds like, well, just to back up, I guess, for just a moment, I'd like to ask, are there certain religious experiences that the Scripture tells believers to expect? Yeah. Uh, you know, what's interesting, Bill, Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the great preachers in the First Great Awakening, this is right before uh, America is still colonies. It's We don't have a United States as yet. Uh, there were thousands, tens of thousands of people claimed to have had religious experience. And Edwards, he was a Reformed theologian. He was a bit concerned that maybe this is hysteria or maybe there's some, may, maybe this could be de demonic. Well, um, Edwards developed what he called kind of a way of discerning real Christian uh, experiences. And he said that uh, a Christian who has a real religious experience is going to be transformed in holiness. Uh, he talked about sincerity and seeking God, a deep-seated conviction. Then he talked about virtues that were critical, humility, a willingness to forgive, and a faith that move toward love and concern about other people. Um, I think that these are very powerful. I think in many respects, Edwards is really talking about the fruit of the Spirit, mm. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, uh, self-control. These are, these are very critical. And notice that these are not uh, religious experiences that are showy or that draw attention to people. I mean, I think developing the virtue of humility and being willing to forgive other people, these are real, uh, these are real religious transformations. So that's what Edwards was looking at, and I think he's very biblical in his orientation. Well, Ken, are there some famous biblical Christian leaders who have claimed uh, profound religious experiences through the ages? Exactly correct, yes. I mean, I mean, think biblically for a moment. Think about uh, God's encounter with Abraham um, and the events that transpired. Uh, you know, 
the idea of Isaac, uh, you know, being potentially uh, put to death. Think of Moses before the burning bush. And, you know, Moses is involved in, I think, probably the two greatest events in the Hebrew Bible. Um, you know, the giving of the law, the Exodus. And there is this cloud where Israel is, is led by, by night. I think of the Apostle Paul, who is a rabbi uh, who is deeply offended by the Christian uh, community, the Christian church, because they worship Jesus as God. And he thinks this is a heresy. It's a cult. I got to stamp it out. Uh, he was even willing to, um, to kill Christians. Then he has an extraordinary transformation by seeing Jesus. I think we can we can talk about all of the apostles in seeing the resurrection. Peter, maybe the maybe the one that stands out for me is the brother of Jesus, James. I mean, he thought, you know, this is my own brother. Maybe he's off his rocker. Mm. Then he then he sees the Lord and he becomes, you know, completely committed in church history. Uh, Saint Augustine, one of my favorites, he had a he had a profound religious experience. Uh, other kind of Catholic thinkers like Francis of Assisi, St. Bonaventure, and Thomas Aquinas, even Blaise Pascal, the famous uh, scientist in the 17th century, had a profound religious experience. So these are uh, common. And, and again, I, I would come back to that normative extraordinary. Sometimes these people have uh, moved from the normative to the extraordinary. I'm wondering too, Ken, if you could comment on the dramatic change of conversion to Christ, the conversion from darkness to light. I mean, what a profound religious experience that is for people who have, uh, well, as the Scripture calls it, being born again. That's that's right on, and that's very important. I mean, there are, you know, we often see people who say, look, I... Uh, you know, I, I had a life of uh, alcoholism or infidelity or, you know, whatever it may be, uh, breaking of the Ten Commandments, and then they encounter the Lord, and the Lord heals them and transforms them. Um, this is something that we see readily, and, you know, again, I think religious experiences play a very important role because, you uh, God is in the business of changing people's lives, of drawing people closer to him. You know, in, instead of uh, being a person who's trying to accumulate wealth and get as many uh, pleasurable experiences, you know, people begin to focus on their family, on, on the Lord, uh, their, their commitment. So these are, these are very important. And Bill, I would also say this, that I think the number one criticism of Christianity by uh, very thoughtful atheists is, why don't I have a religious experience? How come that's not, God seems hidden to me. Mm -hmm. uh, if I had a religious experience, I would change. So this is an important topic to talk about, not only for Christians, but people in other religions and secularists. What do you say, I mean, to the, well, to the atheist or the, the person that is a non-believer in Jesus, what, what is the role of religious experience in their life, and to what extent can a religious experience actually point people to Jesus and the, and the Bible? Yeah, I, uh, I take these 
uh, challenges very seriously. And there's a couple things that I say to them. I say, look, um, number one, I invite you to read the Gospels and ask yourself, could this be the Son of God? Could Jesus actually be God in human flesh, uh, a single person who is both God and man? Look at his miracles. Look at his extraordinary teaching. Look at the claims of the resurrection. I, I also invite them, Bill, and I say, look, um, you know, Jesus said, seek and, and knock. Uh, maybe, maybe you have not yet uh, encountered God, but, but don't stop looking. Um, and I would, uh, you know, furthermore, I would say, look, I, I think that there are many arguments that you can consider as to, you know, the universe having a beginning, the universe being fine-tuned. Um, a lot of these arguments, I think, can help you maybe to keep knocking on that door. And, and how about the subject of dreams, Ken? Um, people often have some kind of a religious experience uh, in a dream, and we often hear of uh, people, well, for instance, Muslims, uh, having a dream about Jesus, and then they come to believe in him, as a result of a dream. This is a, an interesting phenomenon, Bill, because, you know, there are countries that are dominated by Islam. I mean, Pakistan, for example, is 97% Muslim. Uh, Indonesia is the largest uh, Islamic nation in the world, hundreds of millions of, of Muslims. So there are times within this kind of dominant uh, Islamic nation where uh, they may not hear Christian evangelists. They may not have Christian literature. Um, and sometimes there are people who have had kind of these direct, ineffable experiences. They've had a dream uh, where they saw a Christ figure. Um, my book, Without a Doubt, was recently translated into Indonesian language and Urdu, which is the language of Pakistan. Uh, there are times where I think God reaches out to people uh, who maybe, you know, they can't typically go down the street to the Lutheran or Presbyterian or Baptist church and hear the gospel preached, but God's love and his, uh, his desire to bring people to himself could be manifested in a dream. Ken, are there churches, particular churches or denominations, which um, might give more credence or, or encourage believers to seek religious experiences? I'm just thinking more than, more than others. I think so. In fact, I, I think the fastest growing element of Christianity would be in the charismatic and Pentecostal traditions, where there is uh, typically an emphasis upon uh, the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, uh, healing, and things of that nature. Um, and those traditions would then tend to give greater priority to that type of experience. I think, though, what I what I think needs to be discerned is, you know, many of the other churches that may not believe in, maybe there is a, a cessationist view where those gifts were given for the apostolic church. Uh, maybe they're not passed on through the centuries to others. But, you know, all of us have these normative experiences. Again, sensing the Lord's watching over me, uh, healing, conviction, uh, forgiveness. I mean, I know when our pastor, you know, leads us through a confession of sin and says, your sins have been forgiven, 
man, that that's that is a great sense of of satisfaction and contentment. And I know I've got to let you go here in just a minute, Ken, but uh, I'm wondering to what extent, and I'm just thinking of scriptures like the Holy Spirit witnesses to us internally that we who believe in Jesus are uh, children of God, to what extent religious experience can be evidence for the truthfulness of uh, Christianity? I think it can be very powerful. In, in, in fact, Bill, uh, I've studied the lives of some of the people that have moved from pagan beliefs or atheist beliefs and have become Christian, Augustine, Pascal, C.S. Lewis, uh, people of that type, uh, a lot of times they encounter people who uh, are very godly. Um, I, you know, I think of Augustine and Ambrose. He, he thought, how does this man live a chaste life? How, you know, and Ambrose kind of showed him that you can be a first-rate intellectual and be a Christian. I, I think that uh, encountering people who are godly, who are humble, who are gracious, plays an extraordinary role. Reading the books of some of these other people, uh, these can be very powerful. And uh, I don't think we should minimize the importance of religious experience and thinking through because people in other religions have religious experiences. And unfortunately, uh, I think those are counterfeit, and they tend to move people away from the true and living God. Well, can can you tell us about your apparent religious experience? I understand that, that you have a story. Yeah, I you know I was uh, 19 years old. I was kind of grew up kind of with the nominal Catholic faith. I was uh, you know I I believed in God and I believed that Christ was the Son of God, but. Uh, I wasn't living for the Lord, and uh, we had kind of a family catastrophe where my older brother was addicted to narcotics and uh, got in trouble with the law, and you know he had some mental health issues and ultimately took his life. Mm. And I, I tell you, that was the first time I ever felt grief at a deep level, and I wondered, um, you know, what do I have to live for? Uh, I had a dream. Um, it was an extraordinary dream. I, I felt like I was in a cave or I was in a cathedral. I'm not quite sure. And uh, I was looking through a window and, it, and a person's face emerged in the window. And he looked like the Christ that is found in some of the icons of Christianity. At first, I, I thought he looked very ugly. And I, but then when I looked closer, I could see bruising. And then he spoke, and it sounded like thunder. Now, I woke up, I was sweating, I was disoriented. I thought, what in the world uh, is this all about? But I almost immediately wanted to go to church. I wanted to read scripture. I wanted to pursue something deeper. Um, my sister gave me C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. So this was one part of me coming or recovering my faith. Could I say 100% that I saw a Christ figure? No, but I know how much that uh, experience kind of changed me, and I think there has been good fruit that came from it. Whether, whether it was the Lord or not, I don't know, but I know it played an important role in my life. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to today's guest, Ken Samples, Senior Scholar of Reasons to Believe. Go to Reasons. 
www.aaronarmstrong.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Aaron Armstrong on what it means to live in the light of the second coming of Christ. And what motivated Jesus in his humanity as well, because that was his, this ultimately was his motivation too. Um, as, as we see when he keeps talking about ascending to where, where the Father was um, and, and completing his work, we want to be refreshed in this. We want to be able to see what God has for us in this, this very important aspect of our faith that does take up a significant footprint in our Bible. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.